Good morning, everyone. Uh, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Uh, we'll be continuing on in our study of 1 Samuel. Um, last week, just to recap, we had the story of David and Goliath, and which gave us our first glimpse into David's character. Um, we had been introduced to David in chapter 16, but he was sort of a merely passive subject in that chapter, um, uh, being referred to for most of the chapter as the youngest, and only at the very end when he's anointed uh, do we hear his name spoken, and we don't hear uh, any words or see any actions from him. But in chapter 17, we heard him speak and saw him act as he brought the 30 days standoff between Israel and Philistia to an end. Um, He reacted with indignation that this uncircumcised fellow insulted the armies of the living God, and he spoke with confidence that God would deliver him. Um, David, in a sense, uh, gave a a type of sermon with this public proclamation that the death of Goliath would um, cause all the earth to know that there's a living God in Israel. As we move from that chapter, which sort of served as the introduction to David the warrior, uh, our chapter this week um, gives us this contrasting um, uh, pattern of David's reputation and esteem rising within Israel while it decreases in the eyes of Saul. Um, Kept thinking of that TV show, Everybody Loves Raymond. Everyone loves David, except for Saul. (laughs) So uh, let's read uh, chapter 18. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. 
And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul, when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in a fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here's my elder daughter, Mirab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, who am I and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Mirab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Neolothite, for wife. Now Saul's daughter Michael loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private, and say, behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke these words in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, This you shall say to David, The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michael for a wife. But when Saul saw... And knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines came out to battle. And as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul. So that his name was highly esteemed. Uh, Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we do come this day to worship and praise you. And we thank you for the history of your people Israel. And we thank you for uh, your raising up uh, men like Jonathan and David. We ask that you would uh, give us uh, insight into the qualities that uh, make you apply the label to them as men after your own heart. Lord God, if we are just judging by human actions, we see in this passage um, Saul trying to murder David by proxy. And we know that David uh, murdered Uriah the Hittite in a similar way by putting him in a, in a battle to, to eliminate him so that David could get what he wants. So it's not simply by human actions that we judge, but we know that you are a Lord God that looks upon the heart, the innermost being. So we ask that you would give us insight into the hearts of these people. Uh, May your scriptures instruct us here that we might uh, get a glimpse into the life and the kingdom of Israel 
that we might see uh, the things that you favor and those things that displease you. Give us insight into your word and how we might uh, make it a living word in our lives, that we might apply it to the situations around us, that we might not respond to the world with fear, but with steadfast trust that you, O sovereign God, will bring your will to pass. And we ask this through the power of Christ's name and through the power of his death and resurrection for us. Amen. All right. So we had met um, Jonathan back in chapter 14, and uh, we saw David in action for the first time in chapter 17. So what does it mean for the soul of Jonathan and David to be knit together? What does it mean that Jonathan loved David? So kindred in the sense of like-minded. And, um, and on that, uh, you know, we don't have a lot uh, of either Jonathan or David at this point. But um, we've both seen them take dramatic actions. You know, you know, Jonathan saying to his sword bearer, let's go up and attack this outpost of the Philistines. David going out in battle against uh, Goliath. So both of them um, have gone into these very dramatic seemingly uh, one-sided battles against all odds. And they've gone in with a certain amount of confidence. Uh, Confidence not in themselves, but in God. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And David, in chapter 17 For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Um, uh, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike down and cut off your head. So, you know, that confidence that uh, if God is for them, then who can be against them? So kindred uh, in in that sense, like-minded. What else would we say about this relationship? What do we do with this uh, changing of clothes? There's a way you can read this as it's an act of abdication, that he's giving up his inheritance. You know, as Saul's heir, this throne should be his. And yet he is taking off the symbol of that inheritance and he's passing it on to David, whom God has anointed king. So um, even though, you know, we're not sure how much Jonathan knows at this point about David and that David is the future heir, we know later on. He acknowledges that fact. Um, in chapter 23, 17, um, you have this, this 
further conversation between David and Jonathan. And Jonathan says to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. So even sort of there later on, saying, Look, you're going to be king, and if I'm around, I'm going to be there to serve you. Um, so there can be there the sense of Jonathan recognizing in David the true heir and making um, that statement visible by this exchanging of robes. What else might we say about what, why make a covenant? Seems like a strange thing. Is this something you do with your friends on the side? You know? Let's make a covenant. Kill some animals, walk between them. that this is um, again going beyond just mere you know their best buds um, that this is this is something that's a little deeper and part of it I think you're right does come from the fact of Jonathan's position as heir to Saul and he he is the one who has the most to lose from David um, you know as the chapters unfold we see that David is never going to pick up a hand to strike Saul um, but you know, so Saul has, you know, even though he's, he's suspicious and fearful as we see unfolding in this chapter and later chapters, Saul really has nothing to be afraid. Jonathan, however, has everything to lose. So we're starting to see, we just saw, as we saw with Saul, that you sort of had this um, starting off by this private anointing and then moving to where Saul is fully acknowledged as king. And so you have this sort of ordination by God, but then you have it working out through human events. We have a similar pattern with David. He's been anointed king, but now we're seeing... Um, in this and later chapters, the right by which he can come to the throne politically uh, and familiarly in this chapter. Yeah, that's in, let's see, it's in chapter, I've got it written down. So it's in chapter 20. Uh, uh, we get a, a glimpse into this, this covenant language. Um, ch- 
chapter 20, we'll start in verse 12. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But it should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die and do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So there we get a a little more um, explicit insight into the kinds of terms of this covenant. And later on, David is going to, after Saul and Jonathan are dead, you know, he's going to be sitting on the throne going, who in Jonathan's house still lives that I may show kindness? So David... Um, holding up his terms of this uh, covenant deal later on, even after Jonathan is, is no longer alive. Yeah. It says there's that it, uh, the, the language on um, their souls being knit together is reflective. I think the reason that, it's, that David's always the object of love is the narrator's purpose. Because, uh, again, this chapter is about everybody loves David. I mean, look at just the... Um, so Jonathan loves David, and then later on um, we get this... Uh, oh, I should have written all these down, but I didn't. Um, in verse 16, all Israel and Judah love David. Um, the word love shows up six times, and every time David is the object of that love. Um, so I think it's, um, I, I, even though we don't have the explicit, uh, maybe in these verses, that David loved him, I think his faithfulness to the terms of the covenant shows that it, it was mutual. But I think the narrator's purpose here is to emphasize in this chapter David as the object of love. The love of Jonathan, the love of Saul's servants, the love of all Israel and Judah. Um, you know, everybody loves David, except Saul. Anything else on Jonathan and David? Um, so we have this dramatic um, uh, entry of, of David and Jonathan into this covenant relationship with one another. Um, just uh, before we move to the Saul's jealousy, um, just it's interesting language in, in verse 2. Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. So David prior is seen to have some freedom going back and forth between Saul's service and his father's house. And now Saul's taking him. Um, this is Remember, this is what... Uh, Samuel had prophesied kings would do. They would take your sons, and, and literally, uh, Saul has taken David at this moment. Um, 
And the contrast, so, so David, uh, or Saul takes David and Jonathan gives to David. So the, the contrast there between, between father and son. So trouble breaks out by this little ditty sung by the um, Israelite w- women. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. How do we understand this song? What is this little... We just have two verses of it. Presumably it was longer. But um, what, is, what, is, what does this song mean? What do they intend by the song? We'll start with their intentions and then we'll get to Saul's interpretation. Of it. I mean, what are our options? All right, so there's our option that this is a kind of just uh, celebration of, we might say, of the team. Um, since Doug's up here in his Celtics jersey, you know, um, you know, Garnett has his tens of points and Pierce has his twenty. You know, that kind of it's not a, it's not intended to be comparative of the two, but celebratory of the whole. Um, all right, so there's one option. Okay, so David as um, uh, sex symbol. There you go. David, the Israelite idol. Yeah, and that's, uh, we'll come to that um, in, in, more in a little bit. But that, that seems to be the emphasis of this chapter, that everything Saul does to either eliminate David or put David, shunt David aside, ends up raising David in the people's esteem um, and uh, equips him in certain specific ways. Well, and that certainly seems to be the way that Saul's in, interpreting it, to, to sort of, that, um, that this is a literal comparison. That, yeah, Saul's great. He struck down thousands. David's ten times better. <laughs> um, so, that, so there's, you know, a, a second option. Um, the third option, I guess we could, um, some people have tried to make it literal. So, you know, Saul is literally killed thousands, but David's literally killed ten thousands. Uh, I think at this point in, in David's career um, uh, that seems the least likely interpretation. But regardless of, of the intention uh, of the singers, uh, we get Saul's the way, very specific the way Saul interprets it. Um, that Saul interprets this as they describe to David ten thousands, and to me they describe thousands. So this popular shift in popularity, um, what more can he have but the kingdom? And so you've got this great picture of Saul eyeing David. Um, it's great language there. From that day on, you know, eyeing him with suspicion. 
Um, why is Saul so fearful of David? It's a rational fear. Why be so afraid of someone who's still, at this point, very young? Okay. So he's gotten this forewarning uh, from Samuel that the kingdom's going to be taken and given to his neighbor, given to a man after his own heart, and maybe he sees. He starts seeing his kingdom starting to unravel it when judged by these kind of things. He sees in David what he wants to have um, and what he's lost. And so that makes him afraid. Um, he sees in David this, the spirit of the Lord at work. And he knows that spirit of the Lord used to work through him. Yeah, that, that could be a real cause for fear. Um, why else would you say he's afraid? So he's afraid politically. He's afraid um, sort of internally for what this means uh, in terms of God's actions in regard to him. Other ways we see, understand this fear? A harmful spirit from God. Yeah, we've seen um, that spirit of the Lord depart from Saul and this harmful spirit from God... um, Tormenting him. And prior to this moment, David has been the means of relief. And now that thing that had relieved him, now he's trying to kill. Uh, I mean, so you're, you're tormented by the spirit. This person's playing soothes you. But now because of other kinds of circumstances, you're trying to kill the thing that soothes you from this other torment. I mean, you really start to get a sense of um, the downward spiral for Saul. Um, I mean, to think in those terms that he has brought relief from this tormenting spirit by David 
he's rejoiced in David's presence up to this moment. But now because of this other set of fears, he's going to have to kill the thing that deletes him. Yeah, and to think especially in this, um, not only is this sort of the I told you so part, but to see God's grace in this as well. You know, this could break out into all-out civil war, and it doesn't. Um, you know, the thing that Saul fears, I mean, in, in one sense, um, Saul's fear is rational. You know, if these women are singing praises to David and they're already exalting him over me, what more can he have but the kingdom? Um, you know, all Israel and Judah love David. For he comes and he goes out among them. Uh, it, you have this sense of this could get really ugly um, with this sort of the person who has the authority and power and yet someone else has won the hearts of the people. Uh, but it doesn't. Uh, uh, and I think that's something that's really instructive for us. I mean, we'll see that with, with David um, and Absalom's rebellion later on, with Absalom winning the hearts of the people and, you know, creating this moment of civil war. That doesn't happen here. Um, and I think part of the reason that it doesn't happen here is we see Saul acting in fear and David not. 
even after Saul starts actively trying to you know kill him, lobbing spears across the room, and you know David nimble, you know dodging him, you know playing dodgeball with Saul, um, you know he doesn't. Uh, and even in the next chapter, when you know he, he's literally told by Jonathan, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Um, you know, he he never takes that 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 rebellious act, um, and so I think that's something that um, our narrator wants us to see that uh, the kingdom has been given to David, but he doesn't take it for himself. Um, and as we try to understand, you know, what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? For David, in this sense, it means that he is going to be patient on God delivering what God has promised in God's time rather than sort of taking it for himself. Um, he's going to be wait he's going to wait for God to give him the kingdom rather than take it. Um, which brings us to these uh, these marriages. So um, David had been promised Saul's oldest daughter, uh, well, it, it wasn't David, but you know, Saul had promised his oldest daughter in marriage to whoever kills Goliath. Um, but now he's um, now we're told in verses 17 through 19, uh, Saul said to David, "Here's my elder daughter Mirab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battle." So it's sort of like, yeah, there's just another one more thing. <laughs> Go out and fight these battles. Um, he's sort of upping the ante. And we're told here that it's uh, this murder by proxy for Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Um, what do we make of David's uh, refusals? Um, you know, in verse 18, who am I? Who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? And then, again, in um, uh, verse 23, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? I mean, how can he say he has no reputation when Israelite women are writing ditties about him? What is, what do we, what do we, how do we understand David's um, reactions to these marriages? Tim. <laughs> that reminds me Dana and I once watched this we were staying with her parents right in our early years of our marriage and we were watching some horrible made for TV movie about the, this father-in-law who would take out insurance policies on his sons-in-laws and then like they'd have a hunting accident or fall off the ladder so we watched this movie with her parents and then the next day like her dad wanted some help on the house and like yeah, can you help get that shutter up there? <laughs> it's like, you don't want me to sign anything first, do you? <laughs> so, David, maybe this is wisdom on David's part. You know, marry into a house where the father-in-law is throwing spears at you. Is this, is this real humility? Is it? Does he protest too much? (laughs) 
Yeah, so is this a kind of cultural humility? And it certainly seems to be attached to the fact um, uh, with the seconds um, uh, that he, he's poor, that he has nothing, uh, uh, oh, he can't produce a worthy dowry to, uh, to justify this kind of marriage. Um, that he respects the king's position, that how can a poor man, in this case, him, <laughs> marry into the king's household? This doesn't, culturally, this does not seem right. Other things we want to say about his, his protests? Anything else that tells us about him? Mark. Yeah, why at that moment? So he's, he's been real hesitant about the whole marrying into the king's household. But once he's told, the king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now David's pleased. <laughs> what, do we, what do we make of David's pleasure at the, uh, this request to um, collect a hundred Philistine foreskins? Okay, so he's excited. Uh, this I can do. Uh, whacking off Philistine foreskins. I can do that one. Um, yeah, so why would that please David? Yeah, yeah. That's why Saul. Saul, you know, he's crafty, you know. Hmm. <laughs> what could I, what dowry could I construct to kill, kill, uh, uh, David off. So we can see why this idea would be pleasing to Saul. But why is it, I mean, it seems a little more, why is it pleasing to David? He likes to kill Philistines? <laughs> he likes to circumcise Philistines? Why is he not only pleased, but seemingly overexcited to grab some Philistine foreskin? He's a bloody guy. I think we're getting a glimpse here into this fact that he enjoys that. <laughs> I mean, uh, David is, he's a man of war. He enjoys killing people, especially uncircumcised Philistines. Um, but he restrains himself from, uh, again, and I think this, the uncircumcised uh, here is, is important. Um, that he will not put his hand forth on God's anointed king. These people over here, <laughs> fair game. More I can kill them, the better. Uh, 
And so, you know, he, he goes back and he brings back the four skins. And I have to give my Corey Pelton line again. Like fish on a stringer. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the video game song. Yeah, maybe he's disobeying Saul. A king's daughter is worth 200. Four skins. <laughs> yeah, he's, he, so he reneges on air. Um, well, I want to, at this point, um, with, with him... Marrying Michael, I want to come back to something that Marg raised earlier. And it's this idea that um, the irony in this chapter, that everything Saul does as a way to bring David down, uh, maybe potentially get rid of him, ends up elevating David's position uh, and securing his path to the throne rather than weakening it. you know, he puts them. He uh, this. He puts them in the head of a commander of thousands. Um, this would be a position uh, of of uh, moving from sort of Saul's inner circle to the battle line. So he's sending them to the front. Um, he sends them after these four skins. But all these feats of David end up raising his esteem in the people. Uh, he tries to. To use his daughter as a snare. Um, this creates powerful connections within the household of Saul. And so, um, you know, Michael warns him, helps him escape later on. She really loves him. Um, so, and by this marriage, now he has another legitimate claim to the throne that he is the son in law of the sitting king. So, it's the irony here that everything that Saul does. To, to destroy David uh, out of his fear that God is using and turning around and using to secure David's pathway to the throne. Um, and that's the, the, the irony of this passage. And I, I think it's striking the, the, the contrast here, particularly between Jonathan and Saul. Jonathan is confident in God's elective choice, even if it... If, means personal sacrifice for him. Whereas Saul, rather than rejoicing in, in who God has ordained as successor, actively tries to thwart that succession to the throne. Um, you know, this is the picture I think we're given here of, of someone willing to serve God even if it means personal diminishment. Um, I think it's through Jonathan here that we're really given a picture of what it means to be a man after God's own heart. I will be lesser, he will be greater. I mean, that is the image I think we're really seeing put forward here. And, I mean, to me, the, the saddest part of this sort of Saul cycle of, of stories is 
boy, Jonathan would have made a good king. Um, I, Jonathan would have been a, a worthy successor to his father um, uh, for many of the same ways uh, that David is. That someone who is willing um, to make themselves lesser in order that God receive the glory. That someone who puts their trust in God despite the earthly physical circumstances. Alright, anything else on Saul and Jonathan before we close? Saul and David? Lingering questions? Okay. Well, let's close in prayer. Almighty God, we ask that you would help us to love those things that you love, that you would help us to seek your will before our own will. Lord God, we know uh, our own sin and our own predilection uh, to follow what we want, to go against uh, your commandments and to seek our desires above those uh, that you've set forth in your scripture and that you've spoken to our inner conscience. We ask that you would uh, continue to remake us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. That you have uh, taken out our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And we ask that you would continue to uh, prick our conscience. To show us the pathways of righteousness. Not that we can follow that path to, to earn your favor. But that we follow that path out of our steadfast love and gratitude to you. That you are the one who has set us in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Lord God, we know that path uh, leads to self-denigration and to the worship of you. And so we ask that you even now would be preparing us to humble ourselves before you and joyously worship you for all that you've done for us and all that you continue to do. For who you are, who you've shown yourself to be, and who we know you will be in the future. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we ask that you would help us to worship you in spirit and truth this day. In Christ's name, amen.